right, welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punk. So it's quite funny. We started the day off with speaking about how tech can enhance basically um, your health. And um, Susanna described some um, how uh, basically um, tech can help already with preventing people from going to the ER room. And the first thing that came to my mind was the scene from Alien when people get surgeries done on themselves, basically lying a little tube and everything. But um, yeah, we're not here to speak. <laughs> we're not here to speak about tubes. Uh, but we had to speak about some other things, and um, it comes back to the to the good old saying when me and Tim started talking about the beginning of when we just started with this podcast. It's um, how do people just always expect that everything is just available to them, and it makes you wonder because we know that there's data centers out there, but are these data centers somehow connected? And that's the that's the question we're going to try to solve today, and how they are connected because. Um, there must be a cable somewhere. And um, Tim, how many kilometers of undersea cables do you think are out there? Because Susanna threw a number in the room and I was shocked. But um, Tim Tim doesn't seem to find a button. No, but, no <laughs> because you, you, got me, you got me on the... You got me on the... Yeah, yeah, I'm asking you. What do you, you think? You're putting How me on the spot here. You got me on the wrong yeah, foot. Give me I, a I number. actually don't know. I don't, yeah, let let our so all the listeners just guess how much that number is, and it will be revealed at the end of this podcast to make sure that you listen to the whole. It's a learning process. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's how many how many kilometers. Want to take a guess? I, I would say guess? like there is at least at least a couple of hundred thousands of kilometers. Is that what you think? The entire Earth is, what, 52,000, right? If you go one time around it. I didn't know that. Well, if you would ever plan to cycle around Earth, which I'm planning to... 52,000. Okay, let's say 52,000. So, yeah, I think it's it's, it's that times maybe three or five. So let's go with 200,000. Okay. Well, how about I I provide a hint? Um, Since you folks are in the UK... There's a cable uh, called Celtics Connect that connect Ireland, which I think, Paul, you were there, um, yeah. and, and UK, which is where you are today when you were actually doing your cycling event, right? Okay, so there's definitely a cable, Celtics Connect, to connect between Ireland and United Kingdom, just so you know where the locations are. So how long do you think that cable is? Tim or Paul, take a guess. Uh, I would say maybe that cable is way 400 miles, 500 miles, 500 kilometers, 750 kilometers maybe, because it has to go, it doesn't just go from coast to coast. It probably will go to um, a transformer. I don't know where this cable goes into. So it's just going to, it's probably going to go to some major city or a hub and from there it gets up divided. Um, that's how I see it. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I'd say a couple thousand kilometers. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, this one, this one is actually a baby, kind of like Paul, the little puppy that you just adopted. Yeah. So this one is this one is a baby cable. It's 131 kilometers. So um, and it's very efficient. Okay. Um, compared to something that is a little bit longer, uh, that hopefully one of these days all of us will be able to travel around the world like we used to before COVID and uh, to connect between Asia and America gateway. And that definitely is going to be a lot longer than the Celtics Connect cable. But nevertheless, I think the topic is very interesting. Not everybody are aware of what we're going to discuss today, which is why we have Nicole um, Sasowski in terms of from the um, New York University joining us today. So um, again, I'll turn it over to you, Paul and Tim, and maybe you can do an introduction for Nicole. Yeah, I, I think it's Star Ozelski. Is that the one? Star Ozelski. I could see you seeing the pictogram version of Star Ozelski in your head when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's an interesting day, but it's like, uh, because the way you described it was so nice you're like well that's how you need to paint it and then this is how i was just thinking about it and yeah welcome nicole um so you're the you're basically you're the expert when it comes to these cables um how, how many how many kilometers are there around the world well so in the to go way back into history so there's telegraph era where there are copper cables right okay. like you know, 1850 to 1950. So during that period, it was about a total of 62 
thousand, no, six hundred twenty-one thousand kilometers installed during this that. Is for the telegraph, for the for the telegraph, right? Yep. Yeah. So I don't know how many how how big the world is, but you could calculate how many times around that world uh, copper cables went, and then. There was like this kind of coaxial cable era in the like 1950s to like 1980s, and that was 390,000 kilometers laid, approximately. Um, so early fiber optic cables, like sort of late 1980s to 2000, when there's kind of like a break, um, you have 755,000 kilometers um, of cable laid, and. So then uh, since 2001, and I don't know the active number, I'd have to look that up, you have uh, 1,648,000 kilometers of subsea cable that has been laid, what? which is a grand total yeah. of 1,400,015 kilometers um, of subsea cable that has historically been laid. Those are the latest figures, um, and I got that from Simon Appleby, who's a, a guy at Subsea Environmental Services that recycles these cables. Like they this pull is, up cables and- This is and way it. out of what I, like this is way more than <laughs> I guessed. This is like, uh -huh. this is like almost 10 times of what I guessed. <laughs> like, See, that just speaks to the fact that people think, you know, when you think about cables, they just don't seem to, take up much room and just seems like everything's wireless you know it's not like it's really hard to believe with all of our tech today that so much could be like on the ground or on the bottom of the ocean because it's just counterintuitive it runs counter to everything that defines all marketing about all tech today it's crazy because you think about it, like everybody's about oh wireless 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 and they still need millions of kilometers of cables in order to make the wireless even happen um uh, amazing. So, um, so what do you do for a living, <laughs> Nicole? I'm, um, I am a professor at New York University, and I'm in a department of media, culture, and communication, where most people don't study cables um, or even telecommunication systems or data centers. They study, like you know, representations, uh, you know, on mainstream media, or they study study like cultural circulations and migration, and you know how culture kind of travels <laughs> along these cables. So like when you open up Netflix and you watch something on the screen, that's what most of my colleagues kind of like are, have been trained in or are experts in. But so, so I somehow got a job in this field studying undersea cables that carry all of that stuff, like all of it's the media. Cool, yeah. yeah, it's great. But my <laughs> students are always confused, right? Because they come in and they want to be in like advertising or marketing. And they're like, I'm going to go work for like, you know, Google doing, you know, something on the sort of like front end interface stuff. And I'm like undersea cables. And they're like, I don't even know what to do with that. Is it, is it, is it a mandatory course? Yours no, or? no. no it's a, it's ah, so they can't complain, can they? <laughs> Often they don't know what they signed up for. So, so what is it? So what is the course then exactly? What's the name of the course? Yeah, then? what's the name of the course? How, what, what's the like? Is it like oh, some kind of clickbait title or? In all of my courses, I sneak it in, right? Because <laughs> if you just if you had a course named Undersea Cables, yeah, nobody's gonna come. Who would you sign up for that course? I no, mean, of course not. Of course not. In data center world, and you probably still wouldn't sign up for that course. Even if I was a fish, I wouldn't sign up. For <laughs> Okay, but before we get more into the to the cables, to the cable salad, um, let's let's just talk a bit more about Unicode. Do you remember what was your first mobile phone? So I don't remember like the brand or anything, but it was definitely in kind of like the mid to late 90s. Um, and uh, you know, it was just it like you could send a few words to somebody, or like you you could maybe make a phone call. But it was more like is like a thing that you had that was that made you look really cool. So that was like my that was the beginning of my uh, my understanding of what mobile technology does. It's it's really funny because like um, the, your generation the nine like in the nineties the people that got phones back then right most of them will tell you always like we just had it to look cool like one guy was like I bought a car secondhand I couldn't afford the phone to put a SIM card inside it but I was driving around the Champs Elysees talking on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, Does it no, work? But... Does it work, Paul? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. Like um, that individual. I, I, I mean, of course, it's a French, it's a French gentleman who would do something like this. Uh, but I, I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was rather funny. Um, they call. Okay, so that's for phones. Do you remember your first computer then? So I think that the first computer. I really, I know we had older computers, but I think the first one I remembered was like the iMac G3. And so I always thought, I think maybe that's just because it was colorful. And so I, that, that, that was like my memory of early computers. Cause maybe ones before that, that we had, like, I just never wanted to touch because they weren't colorful. So that was, I think, again, formative in my expectations of technology that they should be really aesthetically pleasing um, or sort of evocative. And I think for, you know, as teenager then like, Things that are bright and bubbly and colorful are very like, well, you want to do things with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. So you had your phone, then your computer, and then you were like, oh, you know what? And I really want to figure out where all of this is coming from. Let me find some undersea cables. Um, is, is that how you got into tech? Or what? I was like, I was living in Western Massachusetts and I was just like, I hate it here, right? Like, I mean, and most people like, I know there are people who love where they grow up, but like <laughs> where I grew up, nobody really loved it. And maybe they grew to love it later, but we're like, oh, I, I hate it here, right? So so minute I could, I was like 17, I moved to California because like, that's what you see on TV, right? You're like, I should move to LA, right? Like this, this is like what people do. So I like moved to LA and I became like a film major, right? Cause like, I'm in LA, so why like, why not, right? That should... <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do. So I was doing all this stuff on like screens and like making films and, uh, you know, doing that, that sort of thing. And I, I gradually, like when I was in college, I realized that, wow, the industry is kind of brutal. Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure I want to jump out. And everybody then was like having to work on reality TV and basically drive drunk reality TV stars around and minivans. Like that was the entry level job. And I was like, I think I could skip this. Maybe I could wait until all my friends get better jobs. I'll just go to grad school for a little bit, you know, like hang out. And then like, I'll come back to the industry and someone would give me a job because they're like directing the reality TV. And then I won't have to drive around these drunk people. Right. So it seemed like a good career plan. <laughs> And then yeah. you have to pick up the Kardashians at your job on the weekends. You have to pick up the Kardashians from, uh, from five guys down the road because they're the few right. too many bears. But you know, somebody does that, right? Like that is, that's the entry level position, right? Like is, is that person is not getting coffee anymore. You get your coffee delivered elsewhere, like in another way, like, but somebody has to drive the, the drunk people around. Um, so yeah, anyhow, so I went to grad school at UC Santa Barbara. It was just like beautiful. So I was like, this is a really great place to be for grad school. And all the undergrads who went there were like, oh, we came here to be on the beach. And I was like, I'm trying to teach you some things, but it's okay. Cause they would like come in in their swimsuits and stuff to class. So it was really formative in terms of like thinking about the ocean, right? Cause I was doing media studies and like doing film, but like everyone there was always thinking about the ocean. So I thought, okay, I'll do like a dissertation project on all this like media that's under the ocean. I was thinking like shark documentaries, right? Like remote operated vehicles. And I mean, now data centers, right? Like, so there's lots of cool, there's lots of cool stuff under the ocean. So that like, I'll study that. Um, and I went to like my dissertation advisor and she was like, oh, you should look at undersea cables. And I sort of like at that moment, I was like, that's so boring. Like, you know, like why, like I thought like telegraph cable, like who wants it? Like there's undersea cables on the seafloor. I like that class. Like I wouldn't have taken that class. Like I was interested in like making films. <laughs> uh, and so, but sort of like to appease her, um, I was like, okay, like I, I guess I'll like look into this undersea cable thing. And then I was like, holy shit, they carry all the internet like still on these cables. So why is it that all these people who are like making films or working in the industry, film industry, media industries, didn't know that. And then even people in my field they would be like, everything goes by satellite. And I was like, actually, it doesn't. That's, a very, that's doesn't. a very interesting point, yeah. If you think about it, if, if, you're, if ever you watch an ancient movie or a, a James Bond movie, it's always this zoom out where you see the planet and then the signal goes to the satellite and then blah, blah, blah. Nobody ever shows like James Bond makes a call and then it goes like under the ocean. Nobody yeah. ever shows that in film or TV. Yeah, it's really not sexy, right? Like, how do you how do you do that, right? Like, 
Like it's much better to be like zoom out and we're in outer space than to be like, all right, we're like under a parking lot. Oh, and now we're under a mall. Oh, now we're under a highway and a cornfield. Just like it doesn't have the same resonance. Where are you, where are you guys located? London. Okay. So do you know that like right now our voices are on the bottom of the ocean? Like literally, they're <laughs> on like co-present at this moment. My voice is on like the Atlantic, like like on the seafloor. And, and yes. Nemo and, and Nemo's passing by on top right now. The, and and he's yeah. saying, Dory. And, and he yeah, Dory, 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 and Nemo are still looking for each other. <laughs> <laughs> All of this, we're just like we are on the bottom of the ocean. Our our images, our voices, like everything is like down there with those those sea creatures. Crazy, yes. isn't it? But yeah. let me yes. ask you something else. So what happened to all of these telegraph cables? Because we're obviously not using them anymore. Yeah, they're still there. So many of them. That's why these guys at this company are like trying to pull them up and, you know, get that. There's tons of copper in them. Copper is really valuable. You know, mm -hmm. like, how valuable can... is it for the environment, though? So they're trying to do a calculation right now. They're trying to calculate because obviously, like, you know, is good to recycle things, right? The copper's already down there, it's already been mined, but they're trying to calculate from an energy use perspective. Is it like, it's, it's, it seems like it's less carbon intensive to grab the cable from the bottom of the seafloor, pull out the copper and recycle it and the other materials and recycle it compared to mining that and processing it. So they're trying to calculate that. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's different. that's this whole scope free discussion, right? That we're in currently, isn't it, Susanna? Like the, the Google would. I mean, the cable at, should at be part like of the that. scope as well. Yeah, I mean, if your data center yes. is connected yeah, to the course. cable, yeah, yeah. I mean, we yes, and and you guys all know me. I I care about the whole life cycle of the whole entire data center. So absolutely, I think it's important. And I thought mm. it's amazing. Clearly, Nicole um, knows her stuff, and. Uh, <laughs> She is actually more uh, focused and actually she's being very humbled about how she actually got involved in the industry. But uh, we can tell that we are talking with an expert today that really understand about the history. Uh, but more importantly, um, we also uh, wanted to learn from her today, um, understanding where we are going to be going. Um, and I, I do want to also mention that she is the author of the Undersea network uh, back in 2015 and a co-editor of an article called Signal Traffic, Critical Studies of Media Infrastructure. For those of you in the audience who really care about the history of how we became where we are today, I highly, highly recommend you take a look at her um, publication. Uh, in addition, she's also a co-convenia of the Suboptic Association Global Citizen Working Group and a co-PI on the Internet Society Foundation, which funding a project which is very important today. And I'm collaborating with uh, Nicole on sustainability and the subsea telecommunication cable network. So I would say, Paul and Tim, you folks are visionary. You always want to bring something new to the audience. And you are the first podcast that I'm very convinced that actually bring this topic about submarine subsea cable to your audience. So uh, there you go, Uptime Punk, here we go again, in terms of always being the leading edge. Uh, now is actually under the sea and your voice is actually uh, waking up Dory and uh, Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can find some treasure down there as well. Okay, um, the, the undersea, the undersea network, right? Yes. That's the, that's the book, okay, yeah, so shout out please do um, look for the book if you want to get deeper into the subject, no pun intended. And um, yeah. and if you want to study it, you can do it at the New York, in New York University. University. Yeah. What, 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 what title is the course again? Um, oh, it's any, it's any course I teach. You know, I teach like a course on the environment and they get undersea cables. I actually teach a course on like fashion and they get undersea cables. Everybody gets some undersea cables. Oh, damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but it's important no because because um 
that that's a number i think we've said it 99% of the uh, internet traffic goes through those um cables right that that's them yeah, so you you the ocean, it's it's almost all yeah. under like minuscule amount there's yeah, so, so, so if you if you work with the internet or on the internet and that's basically everyone nowadays you you kind of need to know um everybody's uh, on the sea floor like we're all on the seafloor. So, so I'm, I'm tr okay. So I have a, a few very, I never call them stupid questions, anyways, because this is probably what everybody's wondering out there, anyways. Do you have then, like, you know how you have like secure lines? Do you have also like secure undersea cables? Um, so, like for example, like I don't know the White House, right? Um, they would probably have a secure undersea cable somewhere laid down, so nobody can, because you can probably you can tap into these undersea cables in yeah. theory. They must um, have their own cable. Yeah. That are not accounted for. So it's probably more than 1 million kilometers. It's like probably even more. Well, the US Navy has cables, right? Mm. And and militaries have historically had cables, right? But they're not they're not transoceanic or international. Um, because when you land a cable, you need to do like all of this kind of complex negotiation because you're actually like landing something on like somebody's foreign soil. Right. So if, you know, we want to land a cable to the UK, like we've got to do like some kind of advanced regulatory negotiating with, you know, like I can't just show up and be like, you know, a US based company and be like, I'm going to set up and, you know, a, a landing spot where we're going to funnel all the Internet in and out. Like there's all these like kind of, you know, access. Yeah. So. So that stuff, it's 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 difficult because you'd have to like anyone who lands in the U.S. would have to go through like the Federal Communications Commission, like all that ends up being very public. Um, you know, those are those are those are visible, right? So the places where you get the kind of secure cables or the unknown cables are kind of military-based cables, which typically don't extend beyond the confines of one country. But I've been talking to people for a while, so I don't think. There are a ton of secret international cables. You know, um, I think that people are quite content to, you know, purchase their capacity ah, and okay. then encrypt what they have through that. Well, I, well, I thought like you know the process when you become the president in the United States, you get like this little book of secrets, the president book of secrets, and there's written in it. Tim was wrong in the podcast. This is not one million. There's six million kilometers of cables on, but the red and the red telephone is actually directly linked to that very cable, isn't it? It is. You, are, you yeah. are you are totally correct. And you did mention one of the uh, client I have, Google, right? And yeah. so just in the Virginia Beach area. Um, the Google back cable, um, in addition to actually all the miles that we talked about, I also want to kind of bring in what's really kind of going on. One of the cable, actually, I don't know whether your audience is aware of it, um, deliver 250 terabits a second. So think about the impact, the impact and what that means in terms of the mileage and the cable that we all talked about, how many of them are actually under sea, our voice are actually under the ocean right now, and the fact that how fast it's actually being done. Um, so if you bring it all together, that's basically what a lot of the technology uh, make up of in terms of the infrastructure. So the topic that Nicole is studying and the students that she teach every day uh, has a profound effect in terms of what decisions can be made in terms of making it more sustainable for the future that we cannot just do the same thing that we do in the past because that is just not going to be sustainable in terms of treating the environment. So, so I think it's all about making visible what's invisible and and and, and I think how big are these cables? Yeah. The, 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 how, how thick yeah. are they? Like what's the like like this size? Like everybody can't, people can't see me. Like I'm holding my arms together like a circle. Is it that big or like how big is it? Like it's uh, the size of a garden hose. Hold on, I've got a little piece of garden hose around here. Not that anyone can see it, but I could show is you. Is that guys how big they are? Only I, I would have imagined like this is, this is your cable. This is it on the bottom of the seafloor. There you go. There's your fibers. Um, oh wow! Yeah. 
to describe this to your audio listener, um, it's like my fingers are small, so it's a little bit bigger than my finger. Um, uh, so yeah, it's like your index finger size, average index yeah. finger size. Yeah. If you had large fingers, it would be finger size, but um, that, you know, depends on the size of your fingers. Uh, so anyhow, the um, on the the deep sea, it is just this kind of plastic sheeting essentially, and you can see there conductor and then in the center are the fibers um, and then on the shore end it's sometimes it's usually kind of trenched or buried in a conduit so it gets you know some some over because uh, kind of some protection so, but so, but no it's it's garden hose on the ocean so, so, so why did he use his massive ships then to lay them down well it's a lot of garden hose you gotta fit it all in one ship you gotta drop it off the back right like you know, yeah. you crumble up a garden hose even just to go to the backyard. Like that, that takes up some space, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Um, so I think it was quite recently where they laid another cable for some kind of purpose. But one one thing I know is that um, some cables were laid, I think, exclusively for the purpose to make uh, trading quicker automated computer trading more 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 efficient and you just said that actually takes quite a long time to get this stuff approved and you know all the nations agree so it's a political a diplomatic a security even military question and yeah. still we somehow managed to get this done quite quickly because because it's like it's a question of money isn't it like if you even kind of the couple of milliseconds you save by laying this cable uh, make you so much money that all these questions are kind of getting resolved. So just like tell us a bit about what, what were the biggest uh, events uh, or, or things that have been achieved with these cables and, and, and interests at heart and, you know, the geopolitical stuff um, around, around it. Like, I, I don't know, maybe in the Cold War or, or <laughs> whatever. Yeah, all those things. The ge geopolitical stuff is always there, but also the finance is always there. Like those early telegraph cables, I mean, they linked markets, right? People, and that was a huge role, right? If you think, all right, well, what's the price of goods over across across the ocean there? Like if, if it's taking weeks to get a message by ship, like think of how much that would change the, you know, the commodity markets if all of a sudden you know instantly oh, there's a drought, this crop is wiped, right? Or, you know, like all of a sudden, like, you know, lamb is really expensive over there, right? It totally transforms uh, market operations. So that, I mean, that's been going on for over a century. So today that's just kind of arc to like being able to have, uh, you know, uh, kind of slight edges on high frequency trading, right? So it's just like a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. So, so there would be, you know, money invested in kind of short circuiting, paving kind of smoother pathways, like more direct lines. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of money going into that, but that doesn't always, it's not always the best, you know, it doesn't always dictate all the lines, which is why if you look at like the, you know, the global subsea cable map, you'll see it's not a bunch of straight lines between financial centers. Part of that is geopolitical. There are some places that you just really can't use as a stopping ground. And then other places where you really can use it as a stopping ground, right? So you think about recently, like, you know, the attempts to lay cables that will like land in China, um, then like getting blocked by essentially the United States, like not being able to land, um, you know, where you're gonna land cables in that ocean or like route cables through that ocean, also a geopolitical issue. Um, then there's like all of these kind of marine geology kind of issues, right? You can't, um, during the Hangzhou earthquake, a bunch of cables snap because there's essentially a landslide that took out this cable route um, where there were tons of cables, landslide came down, snapped a bunch of cables, uh, internet went out for a while in China, right? So this was uh, like a key outage produced because all of the cables were routed <laughs> through a specific area, which was a negotiation of like needing to be a more direct route. And then taking, like everybody took the same path because they thought, oh, this is like, you know, the least risky, but still it's risky. Mm. It, you know, but it's not as geopolitically sensitive as going other ways. So it's always kind of combination of this. Um, mm. 
and sometimes, you know, like there was a cable that had been planned, you know, and, and I, I wrote a little bit about this in the book and that was 2015. And now it's still like one of these projects that you're just not quite sure what's going to happen where they plan to lay a cable across the Arctic, which would shortcut, you know, if you're going to think about time between um, UK markets and, um, and Japan, yeah. it would cut that off and it wouldn't land in the United States, right? So there are all these kind of security reasons to go through the Arctic, um, kind of like trade-based reasons. But the CIA can't listen in. Yeah, like, that, was, that was a selling point, right? Like at cable landing stations in the United States, it's on US territory. It's subject yeah. to US decisions. Yeah. So, so but, they, but that cable didn't just get like magically laid, right? So if it was strictly dictated by economics, strictly dictated by like markets and the need for like speed, then there would be a ton of those cables that just went direct point to point. But politics intervenes, like the ocean intervenes, um, people's personal issues intervene. Um, and so you have this like the Cold War era too. Like those cables were like these massive diplomatic undertakings. Um, it was like, you know, there, there are these two models, which I don't know if it happens in data center industry, but like there's the old school Cold War model of like all the carriers, like all like AT&T got together with like, you know, cable and wireless, like and all of these companies got together and they're like, what infrastructure will we need 10 years from now? Hmm. Let's produce a forecast report, which is like very steady arc, like none of this explosive capacity. Like we think that we will need like, you know, 72 channels for, you know, the next five years. And so then they would all put in the cash up front and they would say, okay, let's build this collectively. I'm gonna take my ships, we'll meet your ships, I have a little bit of like manufacturing in my country, in your country. And we all kind of like share and do this like diplomacy thing through the cable. So that was like the Cold War geopolitical model that was all about like, we build this massive in infrastructure together and yet it's only like, you know, AT&T that does it, right? So there's no competition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's nobody else that gets on that cable. They keep the monopoly rates. Like it's very tied to national security. There's like not really, even when they're private companies, there's not a huge difference between that and the state. So what happens in like, you know, the, the 80s is you get a totally different model, which is, you know, like you've got deregulation, privatization, and you get a return to like this sort of like startup entrepreneurial cable. So if you guys were like, you know, no more uptime punks. Like we're done with this. We're done with data centers. You know what we want? We want to build undersea cable systems. Well, you could, all you got to do is like build a business case um, and then uh, get somebody to front you, like, you know, get some bank to give you like $500 million. Um, no big deal. Right. Like, and, and then get a lot of lawyers to do all the paperwork. Right. So you need a really good accountant and a bunch of lawyers a good business case and 500 million. And then you could go ahead and build your own undersea cable provided you get someone, you know, ah. <laughs> and each place to like sort out all the landing stuff, right? You got to have like real good partners in all these places. So that's like, that was not possible before, right? Um, Sounds like Mission Impossible, yeah. but um, I, I think our, because um, we have going to be a bad joke now. No, because we have a couple of, uh, of subscribers from North Korea. <laughs> They're probably yeah. listening to this. So guys, this is how you can get the undersea cables over there. When Nicole was describing it, I have this like vivid image in my mind that uh, remember the good old days when we were talking about the trade route, when we are trying to you know, send some spice from one part of the world to another. We can send some tea, you know, really yummy tea leaves, you know, from one part to the other. And uh, we actually kind of like, okay, you know, what are all the different routes and the ships or the dotted line across the ocean we can actually come into play? And, uh, you know, it, the exercise that actually basically you describe is similar, except that it's actually under sea and you can actually cannot see it, right? So, um, no, I, and I think it actually some of the work by the uh, data center industry also have profound uh, impact to the community that it basically serve and uh, not everybody might be fully aware of it, uh, but undersea cable for the for what Nicole is describing today 
has an effect and actually dictate and drive the onshore site decision where we actually can be placed in a data center. A lot of times people talked about, hey, where I'm going to go site the next big data center. And um, I want to make sure that uh, the Uptown Punk audience realize that uh, what Nicole described today has a tremendous impact and implications uh, on dictating where the um, where the support is going to be, where the next data center is going to be sited in the community, because you also have to alleviate one other thing, which is traffic jam. Believe it or not, we actually do have traffic jam, not only in our highway, but actually also under the sea. Mm. And and uh, if you if you think about it, it's it's always been the ocean that made globalization, right? The early colonizers going out with the ships. Um, was the ocean was kind of the medium of that. That's right. Um, That's right. And, 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 and now the, 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 the subsea cables are in that very same medium connecting the whole world um, for, for, the, for, the, for the better and the worse, uh, I would say, right? Um, but yeah, back to, back, to like, back to today. How would you, I mean, in the 80s, you could do it like quite easily if you had the money and the lawyers, but how, how would it be today? What would you need to do if I was saying, uh, I want to I get a, a, a deep sea cable over to, let's say we're in Britain, yeah, post-Brexit. Um, I'm sure they're having troubles because our internet yeah, since probably. Brexit absolutely <laughs> went down the drain. So I'm sure somebody... In the oh, EU was like, you know I what, sitting the on the other word. end, going, <laughs> like yeah. just pressing the scissor down on that cable, and that cable went snapped, and that's it. And then it's like, oh boys, you want internet? Well, you have your cable with a, well, you have your pay, yeah. you have your cable via Alaska with Japan. You can pull your internet from there. <laughs> yeah. So how would that work? Yeah, I mean, it's it's largely still having the money and having the lawyers, but there's a lot of constraints. And it's like negotiating a, a, a sort of web that's like geopolitical, that's regulatory. And so that's why, you know, largely people who have laid cables before and been part of the industry can do it quite well, right? And, and why it's easier for the OTTs now to like come in and say like, here's what we want to do because they can hire people from across the industry who have been working in it for 20, 30 years. Like a lot of this industry, I would do sort of, I guess, shout out to your audience. This, the cable industry wants to hire people. There are a lot of like senior, well kind of experienced folks in the cable industry and everybody's worried about like, where do we get the next generation? So if you want to hop off, you know, the data center world and come join the cable world. Um, you just like, I don't know, call me and I'll like, I'll, I'll send you forward. Um, so anyhow, the, so there are lots of people who have been doing this for a long time. So it, even if it can, it can be both, it can be both. And I totally agree with Nicole. <laughs> I think having the data center background and having above um, the C background, this is actually extremely uh, interesting sector to be joining Nicole uh, in the world. You actually got to see beautiful ocean front. You're always going to be in nature. And at the same time, you are genuinely will be the leading edge in terms of building what the next um, digital transformation is going to be. And uh, how cool is that? Be able to work with uh, Nemo and Dory. You shouldn't be seasick though, right? You can actually, yeah. Well, there's, there's, they're the people who are on the boats, right? They're actually the marine folks who, who work on the boats. But then there's the whole, I mean, as you know, like, you know, subsea cables are like increasingly co-located in, in data centers or, you know, like they that these are, these are converging, right? It used to be like the landing station was fairly separate and then you connect to the data center, the network exchange after, um, and now there's there's just more more convergence right so but yeah. i would say for like susanna's right like one of the things about the cable industry that's so cool is how global it is like it's really really small like so i i'm an outsider to that industry i just sort of studied them and then they started like inviting me to do stuff which was really cool um but like i i know a ton of people and they all know each other but they're all in different countries and they collaborate intensely on these projects that are, you know, in ways that are, are really interesting. Like they're like, we have to set up a cable that's gonna hit like, you know, 20 countries. So we have to know the people in those countries quite well because you can't, 
you can't just show up and say, Hey, I want to like land in, you know, uh, like this area. Like I want to land in, I don't know, Georgia. Hmm. Like, like you'd have to like make sure that you have the right kind of permits from the FCC. You have to deal with like all the environmental regulations at the landing point. Like they're often like a lot of embedded sort of like layered state agencies. Then there's a community on the ground. Um, and sometimes communities are like, what is this cable coming underground? Like it's like they're fracking our beach, right? And so then they freak out because they're like, we don't want any fracking on our beach. And you're like, it's a cable, it connects the internet. And they're like, no, the internet goes via satellites. And you're like, no, it actually goes via cable. It's going to go under your house. And so like there are, there are like a million concerns with like new cable landings, which is why it'd be real difficult if you're like, hey, I want to set up a data center in Georgia and I just want to like hop across the ocean to France. Like that last piece, like landing in, in Georgia would be the nightmare, right? Because mm -hmm. of all the people you would have to work with. If you have an existing landing, if you're like Virginia Beach or like Miami, there are a lot of people who already know the landscape, who've already kind of like paved the paths. It's like if you have, um, if you're on a highway or you're trying to get somewhere, you know, like you, Google's gonna route you like the long way so you can stay on the interstate. Yes, you could get off and drive that dirt back road like in your not four wheel drive vehicle and then you would like risk a crash, it would go slower, it'd just be like totally unexpected. You wouldn't necessarily know if you would get there on time. So almost always people are just gonna go the long way in order to get there quicker. And so the same thing is true for cables, which is why you can't necessarily set up like a data center somewhere and say like, I'm just gonna connect via cable. And even if you had $500 million, doesn't mean you're gonna get approval. Like you have to know the people on the ground, you have to know the system and how it works. And that takes like a ton of social work and political work and interpersonal work to just like know those people. That's one of the things that I like about the industry is that you, you end up like learning a lot about a lot of different people, a lot of different geographies in order to be able to like build these global links. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost path, like, like path dependency, right? You. Once it's there, you you have no other choice than just go the same path, kind of. Yeah, which is it's it total path dependency, and like some of these paths, like um, some of these paths have been established since like you know the mid nineteenth century. You know what I mean? Like all the cables went through Singapore then; they all go through Singapore now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, but also like more kind of. Uh, in these ways that aren't always, that don't always make sense, right? So like in, you know, you've got like tons of cables coming through um, like Hawaii on like the West shore of Oahu. Um, and, and that's like a total cold war legacy, right? Like cables don't even need to stop in Hawaii now. Like they could just go right across the Pacific. Like there's no reason to stop in Hawaii, except for it's become an interconnection point in terms of path dependency. Mm. And you see that Agreed. all around the world, yeah. Yes. So, so history is a large part of your work then, I, I assume. Like the actual history of the internet and also the rest of the whole history. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to know that in order to know like why the present is like as crazy as it is. Right, because the present isn't logical. Like how things are set up isn't logical. You know, like it's not like the designers of the internet or the cable network have like a blank slate to work with, right? They were actually working like in a world with like all of these like, you know, different populations, conflicts, geographies. And so if you want to build a network infrastructure, you're building it over that world no matter what. And mm -hmm. so if you know what that world is, then if you want to build a network, then you can really effectively build a network because you can work around the conflict zones. If you want to build like a more equitable or kind of better network, then you can do that strategically as well. Um, but if you don't know history, then you just like look at the Atlantic, you'd be like, well, why don't we just connect these two locations? It makes more sense. Well, then you try to build your business plan, you try to raise your money, and then it just capsizes, right? And that's what happens to the people who don't know the history and don't know the cultures and the geographies is that you can't get, you can't make the future happen. 
if you don't know those things. At least that's true for the cable world. I don't know if that's true for like AI and all these other kind of like sectors, but for cables, cause they're on the ground and on the ocean floor, they're so tied in with everything that has happened before that if you're not smart about that and you don't know it, then, then it's gonna be impossible for you to move forward. Cause you're, it's like your canvas, your working, your working environment is the world. It's not like it's not like you have an operating system, like the world is your operating system. So if you don't know the code and the language, which are tons of like different programming languages for the world, like regulation and like how to show up in a community and pitch your project. If you don't know all those programming languages, then like your project for network infrastructure is going to fail. Great. Well, that's a very good point, Nicole. So thank you so much for taking the time to introduce the fundamentals and the importance of why we should care about and learn more about the subsea cables and maybe take your class, definitely read your book. Maybe help the audience understand a little bit about the sub-segment of the subsea cable sector. Can you talk a little bit more about um, what we can learn from you today in terms of the super small cable, like the one that I mentioned connecting Ireland to UK? Um, versus uh, the whole global footprint that we actually really need to connect all of us more on the Western world to, for example, Asia. Um, what would be the design and what would be the political geo um, factors uh, for a super small versus a global, Nicole? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so on one hand, you've got, yeah, these super small cables but those super small cables can often provide kind of like key intervention points in shifting a global network, right? So yeah, there are like, you know, there's a lot of possibilities for, you know, especially US Asia routes, right? Like those are, those have been fairly narrow, right? Like you, for a yes. lot of, kind of marine biological reasons, there's not like, and, and um, uh, kind of oceanographic reasons more precisely, there's not a lot of cables that like say, and data traffic reasons between like South America and, and Asia, right? Like in, in South America and Australia, right? There's not, that's not a part of the, the kind of historical network geography. Even though if you built, you know, some systems that were in more diverse routes, then they would produce a more resilient network. So these small cables, Susanna, like can often do that, right? They can pave new pathways. They don't mm -hmm. always do that, but they could like make a small leverage point or like start something new that hadn't been, that then shifts the global network as a whole. Or you could say like, you know, if, uh, you know, the OTTs sponsor like super huge, like, you know, multi-country, like, you know, if we're thinking about like to Africa or something like that, like then, then not, that also shifts, but at a different scale, right? Because they can set up a single network that's gonna connect all of these countries that's gonna dramatically affect the sort of like prices of, of, of bandwidth out of those countries. Um, it's gonna shift the sort of economic and technological landscape all at once. Um, but that doesn't necessarily shift the overarching geography of the network if those are still sort of path dependent systems. And does that make sense? Like I think, Yes, that's definitely definitely good point. It resonates and it parallels the effort that I do in the data center industry. Um, when we have to decommission a data center because it does get old, um, we don't necessarily uh, cause a lot of uh, rubbish into the landfill. And there are definitely ways that we think about how we can innovate on the infrastructure that's already exists, but we basically bring it up to um, not so much just even the current level, but what might be the future use on some of those. I think I totally agree with you. By the way, do you dress up as a scuba diver when you go out there and visit these subsea cable station, Nicole? And what, 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 what is the most interesting uh, cable landing point that you ever visited in your life so far? I mean, I think I didn't scuba dive there, although I do love scuba diving and it's, it's, you know, I won't say that I started studying undersea cables because I wanted to go scuba diving on small Pacific Island, um, but it, it's, it is a strange coincidence. Um, but I'd say the most interesting cable landing that I have ever visited was um, in Tahiti. 
So most of these cable landings, like data centers, you know, it's, you're just like, oh, it's a like, it's a box, right? It's it's maybe a box with a label. It's maybe a box with a label with some guys coming in and out, like, you know, making it work. Um, but in Tahiti, there's like this cable, and sometimes in the cable landing points, there's a whole lot of conflict, right? So they have recently tried to be sort of under the radar, not cause it, like not be super visible in the community. Um, this, you just want to avoid tension. So this one in Tahiti, the cable lands like right in a school. And so I was like looking for the, you know, a lot of times I'm like wandering around the beach, like looking for a cable landing point. If there's not someone who's like there to point it out for me, who's from the cable station, but sometimes folks aren't available. So I was wandering around and I like walk into the school and I was like, you guys know where the cable is? And they were like, yes. And I was like, wow, this is like not, um, of course, like I didn't actually speak French. So it's like a little bit of a, you know, but like cable is sort of the same everywhere. Um, so, uh, so they were like, take, they take me through the school. These kids are like playing everywhere. And then I get to the back of the school and there's this monument like to the cable landing like which lands like right next to the school and the monument basically says like you know it's in you know english french and tahitian it's like basically like this cable traverses the pathways like that our ancestors have traversed in boats for years and it literally does like it tra traverses up to hawaii where like they, they had long had a kind of trade aquatic trade connection um but it says like the you know we're layered into like here are you know, the people who have traversed these lines before. And so the cable was framed as like this monument to that past um, and as like this significant point of like cultural connection, right, between Tahiti and Hawaii. Like a lot of times these infrastructures are so invisible, but I think when you have a cable that goes to a place like Tahiti, like it totally changes like the capacities for industry on that island, for technology, for people's connectivity, for tourism, um, uh, you know, for jobs and like labor. So all of those things get shaped by the cable. And so the cable's visibility is really important then. Um, and then I think you can do a lot more when cables are visible. Cause if, if they're just invisible and they're invisible landing stations, like you can't really, you can't really advance anything on, on top of that. You can't try to push it in a new direction. You can't build something from the capacity that's coming into your community. You can't like, call for, you know, some sort of change or advocate for a different, you know, more resilient network or equitable network. So visibility is like the foundation for that. So that was like the most visible cable landing that Thank I have. You. To. Yeah. Wow. That sounds very interesting. I think Paul and Tim, we need to uh, find a way that Uptown Punk or Data Center World need to go uh, do a site visit in Tahiti. I think nobody will ever sign that one off, Susanna. <laughs> um, I, 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 some people have some people have to work for a living. <laughs> yeah, but it's beautiful what they have done. Um, you know, no, make crazy. a monument for the for the cable landing, yeah, and it's it's no. all right what they say. It's just the continuation of what has been there, just with other means, right? Indeed, and, indeed, it does shape the yeah. it does shape actually how we are building the next generation of data center. Uh, mm. Nicole. Uh, all the kilometers of cable on the sea, um, how does that change the marine life? Um, do you have any interesting stories or what should we worry about in terms of making the impact to the environment and the sea organisms that actually exist and that is their home? Can you comment a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting actually because the cables have very relatively like little impact in part because like they're so small um and once they're laid they're usually there for 20 plus years and they might never get pulled up right so the amount like in terms of the effect um it's relatively minor right like it just gets dropped on the seabed and doesn't move you know, there's a question about like, if you're recycling them, sometimes like organisms have, you know, built their habitat on your cable. And so like pulling it up, you might disturb some of those new habitats. Uh, they have used cables for artificial reefs before um, because they have really uh, kind of pristine materials that are meant to uh, withstand being in the ocean for so long. So they don't really degrade. Um, so there's not as much of an impact. There's a little bit of an impact when you drag, dig a sort of like, you know, a trench or uh, drill a hole out 
from the shore end, which is a different, a difficult thing to sort of leverage, which I imagine is sort of true in data centers also. Like if you use the same site, there's less of an ecological impact, right? Like you already have the infrastructure built, you already have the building built here with cables, you already have the conduit, right? You just kind of thread the cable through, but then, so that's less ecological impact usually. Um, but if, but then it's a less diverse network, right? In terms of, you know, not having a path diversity um, and route diversity necessarily. And so that's, you know, there are these trade-offs that have to be made between, you know, figuring out what the, the kind of the impacts are um, socially, technologically, and environmentally. It, you know, I think one of the things is we started this sustainability, sustainable subsea networks project to try to track the carbon footprint of the industry, to try to do what I think the data center industry is like much further along in like calculating energy use, thinking about energy efficiency, all these things. Like when I read about what you guys are doing, I'm like, wow, you guys are like light years ahead. <laughs> and so we're like, all right, let's do what the data center folks have been doing for a long time and like try to figure out how to improve sustainability. And there are, there are like unique challenges to the cable system, but also like unique possibilities. Um, so the places that you might think where there's more harm, like it's sort of like laying a cable through a marine environment. Actually, it seems like there's relatively little because of the duration of that infrastructure laying there. Um, and cause you need to keep like fishermen and anchors off of it. So like there are these like cable protection zones, which then kind of keep other kind of marine actors off them. But then there's like, you know, uh, like you have maintenance and repair vessels, right? So like, how do you take like, you know, maintenance and repair, which is necessary to keep the internet going. Like you need all these ships, like every time a cable breaks, like you gotta get somebody out there to fix it. Um, you know, like they're working, some of these companies are working to get like electricity set up at like their ports. So that way when their, their ships are in port, they can run off of electricity and then do it off renewable energy. But there's just like no way around the fact that like, like fossil fuels are required <laughs> to power ships across the ocean. The internet goes across the ocean. And if your alternative is satellites, you still need fossil fuel. Like you're not getting something up into space on electricity alone, right? Like, so I think that there, there are these sorts of limits that you can build a whole lot of like energy efficient ships. But if you're only building like, you know, if every cable is like, you know, terabits a second, like 200, like, whatever the, the, I don't even know what the, the latest capacity is, you just don't need that many cables. So there's not a lot of excess money floating around to like build new super energy efficient ships. So a lot of that path dependency and sort of legacy infrastructure is something that is like true for the cable system. And I don't know if that's true for data centers, you know, from the outside, it just seems like you guys are like throwing them up left and right. Like, it's just like no big deal. Um, no, it is a big deal, and I, I <laughs> and Nicole, I look forward to continue working with you, and hopefully, uh, Uptime Fund can be part of it in terms of the audience. I mean, one of the goals that we had in UNSCG is responsible consumption and production, so it is a big deal. We don't want to use any more resources than we have to from a resource uh, conservation perspective. And then specifically, one of the goal is 14. And I thought about you a lot because it talks about life below water. And, uh, and frankly, in terms of uh, UNSDG goal, in terms of sustainable city and community, many of the communities now, uh, because of COVID, we are not clustering around um, in a city like um, New York. Um, uh, or to your point, you know, middle of the uh, country, um, they are actually moving out towards nature. Uh, I know Paul spend any time that he actually can actually be in nature, being a triathlete. And, uh, and you know, same thing with Tim, you know, he enjoy reading and, um, and resting and, you know, being in nature, sometimes mother nature, you know, has his own power to help us to, uh, you know, uh, uncompressed and recover ourselves, you know, during the whole COVID that we all experiencing. So no, I, I look forward to collaborating with you in terms of how to map the UN SDG go to the business you're in. Because we've done, we, we, we had a good start in terms of uh, with the data center industry and the ICT sector. 
and uh, and indeed, actually, the end. The industry, ICT sector, and the data center industry know the importance of the subsea cable. So that's that's not new to us. However, we do need to actually, I would say, instead of actually having a dotted line relationship, we should actually have a more uh, closer relationship. So I, I look forward to really working with you, starting um, continuing our work this year. Um, I guess. Um, I like to bring it back to Paul and Tim in terms of, do you have any other uh, questions for Nicole or topics that you think your audience will be interested in? And I do hope that uh, for the folks hearing today, we'll join in the effort with uh, Nicole and Susanna, um, and actually also saw one of the UN SDG goal, which is uh, gender equality. Um, we like to actually have more young youths joining us, and we like to actually have more female joining us. I think that will be a thrill. So think about, you can actually scuba dive. Uh, you can actually practice multidiscipline and be able to actually go to really fun places and uh, make a change for the internet going forward. So Paul, back to you and Tim. What do you think? Well, I, I want to hear now Nicole's pitch for how to make it more interesting to get into um, undersea cables for the youth. I mean, did you not just hear my story about Tahiti? I, I, okay, Tahiti is one part of it, but <laughs> I, um... I mean, seriously though, I mean, I, I mean, part of it is like okay, so for the for the youth for for the next next generation. I mean, I think part of it's the same as like you know with building data centers. You you say like all of this content, all of the internet, everything that everybody is doing today rests on like this core base, right? Like, which is like building the actual internet, right? And, you know, platforms come and go, content comes and goes, but like cables stay. And so when you build something, it's gonna last and that's gonna last for, for decades. If you build a new route, it could last like, you know, a century, right? Like if you pioneer a new cable route, like other routes are going to get laid on it. So if you want to do something that's not just going to be like a blip, you know, and you're not going to build something for some company and then like, you know, it's going to be phased out in five years. you will be like, well, why did I spend all that time? Like if you want to build something that is the internet, that's going to be the internet of the future, somebody else's history, not like the history that they ignore, but like the actual history that forms their world, then this industry is like, that's what they do, right? So then beyond that, since it's so international, you have you end up like learning at their conferences, like you end up learning and making friends with people from all around the world who do similar things. And you get to like have contact with people who work on the marine side. Um, and you know, for a lot of historically, for people who worked in the cable network, like you traveled to different places because you needed to like work at different installations. And since it's such a small world, you can get jobs at companies that are like in other countries where you do similar stuff. So I know people who, you know, might have a job at like, you know, a, you know, operator in the US and then they go, they live in Hong Kong for a while, they have a job there, then they get transferred and they're like, you know, in France for a bit, right? So like, because it's such a narrow field, but global, your, your like career could be all over the world. So it's like, you know, for people who are like, I wanna do one thing, but I have wanna have like upward mobility and live in San Francisco my whole life, cable network's probably not for you, right? I mean, although lots of people are working remotely now, but if you're like, I wanna be invested in something global and I wanna have the opportunity to have mobility at a sort of global scale, to be able to work in different parts of the world, but still have a ton of expertise, then this is the kind of world that 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 would be suitable for. That's my pitch. Great. Um, well, I would add to that probably that if you want to become part of history, then you need to lay some cables. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now it's really amazing. Um, thank you so much for um, widening our horizon again. And Susanna, um, you brought again something uh, which nobody would have expected this topic. I mean, it's crazy. It's um, it's just nice it's very refreshing and um yeah we hope everybody out there also absolutely enjoys it and um, if you guys have questions you can always reach out to nicole um you can find on linkedin um we're gonna link in also on the post which we're gonna make and um our american punk queen susanna thank you so much for having you back here
Um, this this nice was Susanna. We always talk about food. Susanna, did you make any new dish or anything you can recommend? Because last the um, first time we spoke, it was the turkey you were doing. Yes, I actually tried making a kale slaw uh, the other day, and the kale came from my own garden, and I was uh, delighted actually how tasteful it was. Just to mix it with a little bit of olive oil that Alberto, who is our guest next week. Mm. Uh, gave it to gave it to me um, from uh, one of his gardens uh, that he had his own olives. Um, so yeah, so I tried some kale slaw, and it was quite yummy with uh, using the Himalayan salt and uh, pure olive oil. It was so uh, very very delicious. Only, so the only thing you need to get now is your own salt. Yeah. <laughs> then you would have a proper yes. circular economy model. There you go. There you go. I hope we actually have a chance to uh, physically all get together um, sooner than later and have yeah. uh, Nic and have Nicole and the whole entire network that she actually has in terms of submarine sea cable helping us to, uh, like you said, build a future of what uh, the internet is going to be. That would be that would be extremely fulfilling and rewarding. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much for everybody being part today. And um, yeah, don't forget to subscribe. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all this other RSS feed that Tim was talking about. Where you, I don't know. Can't even mention it anymore. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Paul, and Tim. Thank you.